The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program Afternoons with Mike, heard here daily on the Shepherd Radio Network. On the line with me today, Alex McFarland. He's an author, a speaker around the country, a religion and culture analyst, and he leads Alex McFarland Ministries. He is an influential person, and we're grateful that he's taken the time, and welcome to my program, Alex. Well, thank you so much for having me. I I appreciate you so much, and it's an honor to be with you. Well, tell me, first of all, a little bit about how you got into what you're doing today. Well, uh, God saved me. (laughs) That's the thing. (laughs) That's a great Uh, starting point. It is. It is. I'm, listen, I tell people I'm a saved sinner who's excited about Jesus and uh, became a Christian when I was uh, in college and was just trying to talk to my buddies about the Lord, you know, and uh, they had questions. And I came upon some books by a guy named Josh McDowell. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and, Evidence demands the, a, a verdict. verdict. Yeah. Yes. And, and more, more than a carpenter. And you know, Mike, what's, what's, I think, interesting, apologetics is really becoming a prominent topic right now. Uh, that, that is the evidence for the Bible and the evidence for the Christian faith, you know, things like history and archaeology and mm-hmm. the manuscripts and how we know the Bible is, yes, indeed, the Word of God, because it is. But you, you got to understand, like, in the late 1980s, I mean, like, nobody knew about apologetics. But I began to read and read, and some of my friends and I, we would have discussion groups at UNC Greensboro, the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, where I was attending. And one by one, a lot of our friends, you know, became Christians. And I just became convinced that apologetics was an important part of ministry. Uh, And now, at this point, I never knew that I would go into the ministry or be a youth pastor or the stuff that... Uh, the Lord has allowed me to do, you know. What were you doing but, at that time, Alex? Um, I was just going to college. I was working on an English degree uh-huh. and, you know, working a bunch of different part-time jobs, but was more and more involved in church. And just all I wanted to do was talk to people about Jesus Man. and getting saved. And um, I was driving a delivery truck. And Mike, you, you got to understand, I'm really kind of an introvert. I'm kind of shy. But along my delivery route, um, people would say things, and I realized that very often they were opportunities to steer the conversation to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I was um, making a delivery at this restaurant because I was driving a delivery truck that served restaurants with food items. And the man, who was probably 25 years older than me, was just talking about how his marriage was falling apart and life was so hard. And, you know, here I am like, I don't know, I might have been 22 at that point. But I just said, have you ever thought about turning your life over to Christ? And he said, "Uh, I would, but I don't know how. And thus began the most clunky, awkward, (laughs) inarticulate presentation of the gospel 
And much to my surprise, because this was not like me, but I said, if we prayed right now, would you open your heart to Jesus? And he said, yeah, yeah, I would. And I was like, really? (laughs) Um, Okay, uh, sure. And you know what? Here's the thing. I prayed with this gentleman, and two things moved my heart. And I, I just give God the glory. I just give God the praise. But he, when we got up, we opened our eyes. He prayed and asked Christ into his heart, and he just looked different. I mean, his whole countenance was different. And he looked at me, and he said, young man, you ought to be a minister. Oh, and man. I said, yeah, well, I don't think that's going to happen. But I will tell you this. All I wanted to do, I was going to college, I was working, just trying to do whatever the Lord might set in front of me. And uh, probably about the 25th time, somebody looked at me and said, you ought to be a minister. Or if you have a church, I would go to it. Where is your church, Alex? And I would just say, look, I'm just a Christian trying to show forth Jesus. You know, and you look up and 30 years has gone by. Mike, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know the plan. It's just if you're faithful with A, God will take you to B. And if you're faithful with B. So I got engaged, decided to go to seminary and graduate school and seminary, did two degrees, got married, was a youth pastor for 11 years, rented the Coliseum in my hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina. Actually rented the Coliseum like three times, brought in Josh. Coach Tom Landry, Josh McDowell, Norm Geisler, oh Robbie goodness. Zacharias. Yeah. And about the about the fifth or sixth time that we filled up the Greensboro Coliseum for a Christian event, James Dobson called me. And I get a call from Focus on the Family. And um, Focus on the Family said, hey, come be our director of youth apologetics and biblical worldview. And... Uh, Here's a budget. Here's a staff. Go rent coliseums. And uh, isn't that something? Yeah. Uh, woke up and twenty-five years has gone by. You know, I I love that story because it's such a God story, and I love everything about what you've said. And and really, at root, if uh, the simple, quick answer as to how you got to doing what you're doing today, it's just by simply obeying what God put on your heart to do, and the rest fell into place, right? It really does. And I'm, I'm living proof. I mean, Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Um, Mike, I, I haven't had a grand plan or anything. I give God the glory. Um, while I was working for Dr. Dobson, um, some book publishers came calling and said, Would you write a book? And I had never done that before, but... Um, have now, and I, I completely praise God. I'm not trying to talk about myself, but I've written 18 books. Oh my goodness! On biblical worldview, how to defend the Christian faith. Written a couple of books on America's heritage, America's Christian foundation, mm-hmm. and um, you know, to everybody that might hear this, let me just say this, folks: um, all really going to matter is what we did. Well, A, did we accept Christ as our Savior? And then post-salvation, what did we do for the Lord? And, you know, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And uh, listen, the Lord knows 
The Lord knows that we need to pay the bills. We need to put food on the table. Uh, We have uh, a lot of needs, and God even graciously gives us a few of our wants. But the first thing for a Christian is to grow in Christ, mature in the Lord, and then to make an impact. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain, you know? Mm-hmm. So I want to say to everybody, listen, the prayers you pray, the, the little seed you sow, um, the service at your church, or just being a witness to that neighbor or whomever, I mean, it really, really, really matters. And I think when we when we view all of life in terms of stewardship, and, and I'm not my own, but I belong to Christ, uh, that's when our lives really begin to change for the better. It's so true. It is so true. And, and you know, you were in re- really impacted by this book, by uh, the, the writer that you were talking about, about Josh McDowell. And it's yeah. so interesting that the matter, the subject matter, the thrust of his ministry was this thing called apologetics. And just for those that may not be that familiar with that term or understanding, uh, it is basically a, a learning how to defend your faith, learning how to give an answer as the Bible says, when we're called on to to give an answer for the Lord. And that ability is basically apologetics, not sounding like the word that we think of often. It's not an apology. We're not apologizing, but we're defending. We're defending what the Lord did. And it's so incredible to me that the the person who impacted you the most, you became very similar to in the thrust of your ministry, and now you make telling others about Jesus and giving an and answer when they ask you a question. That's what you do, and I love that. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I just I cannot overstate the impact Josh Miguel has had on my life, and, uh, of course, countless others as well. But Josh McDowell, you know, hugely, hugely shaped everything that's happened in my adult life as an individual Christian and in ministry. Uh, that's great. And and you've had a chance to not only work with him, but all these others. You mentioned along the way, Ravi Zacharias. I recently had Brandon Cleaver. I don't know if you know Brandon, but he was part of the RZIM team in Atlanta. Now I think he's up north and uh, he's doing a great work uh, ongoing. So sad, all the things surrounding Ravi, but uh, that does not take away from the message that he brought, or the truth of, of the gospel that he preached. And uh, I am i just wish he could have found more peace and more uh, the settling in his own life and in his own heart. And uh, I, I just uh, continue to, to pray for ministries who have a national impact because, you know, the enemy would love to just bring every one of them down. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, you're right. And, you know, we booked—I I first— I mean, I had known of Ravi for years and years and years. We took him to Yale University in 2004. We did a big event in New Haven, Connecticut, and um, actually had like 187 people pray to accept Christ. And let me just say, and this kind of the Ravi scandal, quote unquote, is farther and farther in the rearview mirror. But I want to tell you, I knew him. He loved the Lord. He did a great work spoken word, and printed page. You know, we all have feet of clay. 
we're, we're all sinners, and I don't minimize that, and I, in no way do I excuse carnality. Mm-hmm. But um, Satan, Satan wants to diminish the impact of the gospel. But I want to say, uh, Ravi, he did a lot of, he he bore a lot of fruit for the gospel. I'm sorry, it was apparently sounds like some secret parts of his life that were not not at all acceptable for a Christian. Mm-hmm. But um, he did good too, though, didn't he? He really did, and he impacted my life. I had the the privilege of meeting him and working actually on the logistics team in Gainesville when we brought him in, and it was one of the biggest uh, Gainesville church meetings in history there, and he packed out the uh, O'Connell Center full out, and people were turned away. It was just jammed out, and uh, on the floor, and this is the beautiful thing about those that work in apologetics, uh, an an often aim of those that, that really aim to be someone that is relative and give an answer for this culture and, and to the culture. On the floor that night was uh, a, just a large group, a, a couple of thousand of non-believing students at University of Florida. And so they heard the message of the gospel in such clear terms that night that I know that many of their lives were once and forever changed by the by the gospel and i'm i'm grateful Amen. for that that is such a cool thing and i happened to be there and got to uh, meet meet him personally and uh i i just i'm so grateful for the fruit that did remain from his work but going back now you've written all of these books are all of the books you've written i don't think all of them are apologetic in nature are they uh not really and and you know what i i i praise god we've tried to mesh apologetics and evangelism, but also apologetics and biblical living. I did some devotional books, like I did a a devotional book on the book of Genesis, a devotional book on Psalms, a devotional book on the book of Proverbs. Um, We actually did a book that was apologetics and prayer. Um, I wrote that one with um, E.L. Towns, T-O-W-N-S, Elmer Towns, uh, co-founder of Liberty University, mm-hmm. ten questions about prayer. Um, so, and, and then I've done two books that really were on American culture and Christianity. One is called Ten Issues That Divide Christians," and the other is called "The Assault on America: How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late." And it's pretty amazing. Um, in the book "The Assault on America," which I talk about, Mike. Seriously, what what I believe is the most important topic nobody else is really talking about, which is natural law. Now, natural law is the foundation that our country was built on in terms Mm -hmm. of the Declaration, Constitution. Um, This idea that there is a moral code written on the heart of all people. Everybody knows right from wrong. Now, we don't always do what's right. But deep in our heart, we know what's right. And Jefferson called it self-evident truth. Washington called it the laws of nature and nature's God. Other people like John Adams and Alexander Hamilton uh, and Patrick Henry referred to, you know, the, the laws of God. But natural law, folks, this is huge. If If we would understand that the founders of the country— 
and really all of our elected leaders and many of our great educators and judges up until about 25 years ago, they understood natural law and all of our laws that we put on the books, they are only just and appropriate and constitutional if they square up with natural law that's been around since the dawn of, of history. Yeah. Now, all of our, uh, not only the laws we make, but the court decisions we adjudicate, all court decisions must be rendered in light of natural law. Now, Mike, I, I realize this might sound kind of deep, and people are like, what? Well, what is natural law? Natural law that I write about in 10 Issues That Divide Christians, and I write about it in my book, The Assault on America, natural law says this. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to commit murder. It's wrong to bear false witness and slander and lie about somebody. It's wrong to commit adultery, uh, rape, murder, treason, incest, malice. It, it's wrong. Now, when you look at whether it's you know the ancient cultures, whether it's uh, the Code of Hammurabi, or whether it's the United States Constitution, you realize that natural law looks identical to Exodus 21 through 17, the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Now, let me, let me give a quote here, and you, you ring me in whenever you need to, Mike. But We've got a uh, minute left in this segment. Okay. Uh, abortion is not a religious issue. Abortion is a moral issue. Yes. And part of the reason I'm pro-life is because natural law says all humans have rights, and the first is the right to life. Even my friend, the late atheist Christopher Hitchens, who I knew, and we emailed right up until two days before his death, even Hitchens knew. He said that, and he he said he was pro-life, not on religious grounds, he was an atheist, but because every human has the right to life. Transgenderism, gay marriage, look, people can be gay or transgender, but we can't change the country and the law because if we don't have a moral foundation, we will descend into chaos. That's right. And whether or not, yeah, wh- whether or not somebody's a Christian, I wish everybody would be a believer. But even if you're not a believer, you have a vested interest in preserving morality. Because without morality, i.e., natural law, we're going to have chaos. My guest today is Alex McFarland, author and speaker, and you can tell a man passionate about God and his gospel. We'll be back with Alex in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. On the phone with me today is Alex McFarland. I followed Alex for a couple of years now and got to uh, bump into him very briefly at the NRB year before last. Uh, but uh, so excited to have him on the line today. Where are you calling from today, man? Well, uh, thank you so much, Mike. I apologize for being a, a little transient. I am on I-40, Interstate 40. I'm headed to Western North Carolina um, to speak tonight at a church, to do a, an apologetics worldview conference at a church in Western North Carolina near Asheville. And um by the way, if I can 
give a little plug for my own uh, travel schedule. My website is my name, alexmcfarland.com, alexmcfarland.com. We, on, on that website, we talk about our, our youth clubs that we start called Viral Truth and um, my own speaking schedule. And, uh, hey, I would love to come and come to Florida, and we will equip the, the church. We will do our best to evangelize the lost. And if you want, I'll go to the local college, and we'll debate the atheists in love. But uh, we— um, to present the gospel and present the evidence for the biblical worldview and the Bible. That's what we love to do. And God's allowed me in 24 years to be in about 2,000 churches and about 200 universities throughout North America and internationally. So uh, mm. it's pretty good time to come back to Florida, I think. I think it is, too. And I know I, for one, would love to have you come back and come be well, bus. I know you've been down in South Florida before. And Orlando yeah. is, hey, this is the vacation capital of the world. Uh, not uh, not just a few things to do in this area, Alex. So you're going to have to well, come down and enjoy Orlando. A lot of great people there. A lot, a lot of God's people in Florida uh, I'm well aware of. We, we thank God for each and every one of them. Well, it's great to have Alex McFarland. Now, you've heard in segment one, if you were listening, that Alex worked for a number of years for James Dobson's organization. He uh, is an apologist. He's one who does these kind of meetings that he's getting ready to do even yet tonight. And he is also an author of 18 books. And one of the things you're often called upon by organizations like Fox News and also even CNN I can't imagine what that would be like to be called by CNN to come and give an answer for something from the Christian perspective. Does that happen often, Alex? Um, yeah, you know, once in a while, uh, we we get a lot of friendly media and, you know, uh, wonderful stations like your own, Mike, and then, you know, Fox News. But yeah, and you know what? Uh, I've done MSNBC. I was on with Alan Combs. Alan mm. Combs, uh, after Hannity and Combs, uh, he had a show called Liberal Land with Alan Combs. And um, you know what? He was he was as gracious to me as could be. And, and of course, I and my staff, we try to be gracious to people. You know, when we know, um, I was, when we know they're not going to be believers, I was on The Daily Show with John Stewart and uh, John Oliver. If you've ever seen the mm -hmm. show yes. Next Week's News Tonight with John Oliver. And the funny thing was, um, you know, when I got there, we were getting ready to go on camera, and some of, um, well, John Oliver predominantly were, was cursing and using foul language and, like, smiling at me. And I think he was trying to rattle me or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. And we were on a commercial break, and he was just, you know, using a lot of foul language. And I said, uh, hey, I am so sorry that you have Tourette's, man. I didn't know you had Tourette's syndrome, so... <laughs> Uh, and he laughed, and he kind of pointed at me, and he said, that's good. And I said, hey, man, I hate to break it to you. I might be a, a preacher, but that's not the first time I've heard that language. So yeah. get it out of your system before we come back from a commercial. And and he laughed, and from then on, he was, like, uber respectful. And, I, I mean, I think that whenever I go into, like, CNN or, or what we call hostile media, I mean, twice I've done Al Jazeera World Service. Are you serious? Um, oh. Oh, absolutely. 
once by sun and once they're in New York City. And, and it's, it's pretty wild. All right. I got asked to be on Al Jazeera to talk about Islamophobia. And uh, the assistant that I had said, you know, they had called, and, and I could name, you would know every name, but they'd called all these major world-famous Christian leaders, then nobody would go on Al Jazeera. And um, a Christian leader called me, who was absolutely a household name. I assure you, everybody listening knows this person's name. And said, oh, Alex, you don't want to go on Al Jazeera because, I mean, it's heard all over the Islamic world. They will know where you live. By the time you go on Al Jazeera World Service, ISIS will know everything about you. Um, And I said, "But, but wait. There's nowhere in the Islamic world that this is not heard. And they were like, yeah. And they're going to let me explain what Christianity is. I'm like, sure, I'm in. Count me in. And so I I go on Al Jazeera. I'm very respectful. The lady, you know, she kind of introduces me, and she goes, you know, Reverend Alex McFarlane is an evangelical minister. And, um, you know, we want to talk about Islamophobia and why do Americans, you know, fear, if not hate Muslims. And she goes, first of all, Mr. McFarland, explain, in, in your opinion, what does it mean to be a Christian? Oh, so, like, Mike. Oh, my goodness. She lobbed you a softball yeah. right out. Exactly. For the next 10 minutes, I explained the gospel. Oh. And they did not interrupt me. And I thought, well, I'm going to go for it. And I said, so here's this prayer. And the Bible promises Christ Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will not reject. That's John six thirty seven. So if you pray a prayer like this and mean it, dear Lord Jesus, and I go through the sinner's prayer, and I'm like, here I am. They tell me the entire Islamic world is hearing this. It's on their nickel, and I'm, I'm calling people to come to make a decision for Christ. There's more than a billion people listening, and I'm telling them how they can be saved by putting their faith in Jesus. Now, mm-hmm. here's my point. Whenever you have a gospel opportunity, take it. Yeah. Uh, you don't work. Um, some of my friends, they were like, oh, but Alex, they'll know where you live. I'm like, I don't care. They, I don't care. Look, um, John 10, 28 says that the believer is secure in the hand of Jesus. Um, but the other thing I would say is that if you're nice to people and you're respectful and you're patient, you will get the opportunity to be heard eventually. Mm-hmm. Just be kind. And sure, we don't compromise, and we, we tell what the gospel is and that, that only the blood of Jesus can wash away sin. But I have found that if you're patient and, and, and just be sweet to people, even like a John Oliver or whomever, the man that is cursing you one minute, you be nice to him, and you pray, and a few minutes later, he'll be saying, wow, what is it? You're different. Yeah. What is this Jesus thing? You know, I worked at a TV station one time, Alex, and there was an individual there at that station, a salesperson that was occasionally with me on shoots that we would go out to do because I was in production. And this guy would do kind of like what you were talking about, use filthy language, uh, constantly very sensually oriented. And he would just say things that I would go, how can anybody even say something like that? Well, uh, uh, fast forward a couple of years, I left that station 
and had to drop back by that station for some business. And while I was there, I saw that fella and he started, he saw me and he started running toward me. And I'm thinking, oh man, he looks different. What is this? And he had a smile on his face. He had come to know the Lord. And he told me that I I used to try to rattle you. I used to try to shake you up. I used to try to just get under your skin and make you just kind of speak out and lose everything that you said you stood for, but you never did. And and now he is a believer. And it is, it's just incredible, isn't it? What happens? Mike, you're, 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 you're a man after my own heart, brother. Cause here's the thing. I, I love this verse. I, I've shared it so many times, but first Corinthians 15, 58 says that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And, uh, sometimes, well, first Corinthians three, verse two, Paul says, you know, one sows, one waters, but God gives the increase. And, uh, Sometimes we see people come to Christ. Sometimes we are simply sowing a seed, maybe sometimes through our demeanor or our, our just a gesture, we can water the seed, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we've got to remember, Mike, and th- this was revolutionary for me because one of the verses that really changed my life in 1 Corinthians 6, um, 19 and 20, Paul writes this, he goes, what? Don't you know that you're not your own? Mm-hmm. You're bought with a price. Right. Therefore, glorify God with your mortal body. See, if we're going to make an impact, we got to remember that that Jesus really owns us, and 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 we're not owners, but we're stewards. Mm-hmm. And our our voice, our influence, um, we are to let God be the owner, and we're simply the the manager or the steward. How true that is, and if we can remember that, and you know, we live in a world that's so full of distractions and so full of, I would think, its own purpose to try to to do what these people that we've talked about, what they try to do to us, get us off center, uh, like what uh, he did to you, what what uh, that language was aimed at. Uh, all of this is a distraction. So I believe we're living in a time that if people can get a hold of this and see through it, that they're going to have the kind of success and doors open that you've had before you, Alex. I think it's tremendous that you jumped on an opportunity and got to share the gospel with the entire Muslim world. That's that's really amazing, man. Well, the, the Lord is good. And, and Mike, you've got to understand, I'm like really kind of an introvert. When I was in high school, um, I was in this English class. I, I may have told you this story before, but I mean, I was so timid and shy that um, to pass English, you had to get up and give this paper, like a 15-page paper, and give a speech. And my teacher came to me, and she said, you know, Alex, everybody is gone. You've got to go and give your speech. I said, I can't do this. Now, I was not a believer yet. I was in high school, and I really didn't come to know the Lord until I was in college. And the teacher said, you know, well, you're going to flunk English if you don't give this speech because it's one-third of your grade. And I said, I cannot get up in front of everybody watching me and talk. Listen, man, I went to summer school rather than get up and give a speech. <laughs> and uh, if somebody had told me, hey, Alex, for all of your adult life, about three to five times a week, you'll get up in front of total strangers to do unscripted Q&A. And when I went to my 25th 
high school um, thing, high school anniversary thing, uh, people came up to me and they were like, hey, man, you are not the same. Who are you and what have you done with Alex McFarland? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I am not the same. But here's, here's why we get out of our comfort zone. Here's why we speak to our neighbor. Here's why we love those that curse at us. Here's why we, we turn off the TV and we read the Word and we try to learn and be equipped. Jeremiah 20, verse 9 says, His Word was in my heart like a burning fire. Oh, yes. The, yep. the Word of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4, verse 12, only the name of Jesus. And I just want to challenge everybody and, and re-remind myself that his word must be in our heart like a burning fire. Mm. And that word says, go and tell the nation. Sometimes we go to the end of the world, and sometimes we go to the end of our street. Yeah. But if we're a believer, we're a witness for our Savior. And you know, the truth of it is, if the Lord's called you to go to the end of your street versus the end of the world, that first location, the end of your street, is just as important to you as if you were going to the farthest reaches of the earth. Amen. You're right. That's so right. And isn't it wonderful? You know, I've, I've had my heroes. You and I talked about Josh, just one of the greatest people ever. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Josh and Dottie, Josh McDowell, uh, and my wife and I know Josh and Dottie. And um, there would, wouldn't be a Josh McDowell without a Dottie McDowell. They're both mm. wonderful. But you know what? Um, thank God for Billy Graham. Thank God for Josh McDowell. Thank God for Ravi and so many I could name. But you know what? Every one of us, I want to say to everybody listening, there are no insignificant believers. You, you might be doing something nobody in the world will ever know about but Jesus. Mm -hmm. Maybe you are a greeter. You know, Lee Strobel, I, Mike, you've probably interviewed Lee Strobel. I, I have not him. yet, but I want to. Do you know what he did? Um, Lee is just great, brilliant, incredible scholar. And one time, this is many years ago, and I was trying to book him to come speak, and he's graciously opened his calendar many times. And one time, he was talking about how he had to get back to his church in Illinois because he worked in the parking lot on Sunday mornings. And I was like, wait a minute, do what? He was talking about, you know, setting out the cones and helping direct traffic. And I thought, wow, here's Lee Strobel, who's a brilliant author and just a major household name, a defender of the faith, and he helped in the parking lot direct traffic at church. Very humble job, but here's the thing. You might be in a pulpit, or you might be behind the scenes empty, emptying the wastebasket or directing the traffic. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There are no insignificant Christians. Now, if you're faithful with A, God might entrust you with B and C and D. But you know what, Mike? Um, Barna says there are 130 million adult Christians in America. Now, only God knows the real number. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, if every, if every one of the born-again adults were just loving Christ and living for Him, I think it would be a different world. I and agree. Let's yeah. 
We got to do it. We got to do it. And we have the greatest message, those of us that are believers. And, you know, uh, I, uh, I do you have time that you can hang with me for the last segment. Sure. Sure. Oh, I know you're driving and you're somewhere in this great United States of America. <laughs> so That's as, right. as long as you're able to abide by the rules of the road and the natural law as well, which I know you're doing, uh, we'll, we'll be able to continue this chat on the other side of this break right now. This is Afternoons with Mike, and we're on The Shepherd. Don't go away. I'll be back with Alex McFarland. Back again here on Afternoons with Mike. Mike Gillen on the line with me today is Alex McFarland. I have to tell you, this is a real treat for me. Number one, Alex is driving to an appointment in uh, North Carolina. And it's not every day that we get to spend our our transit time like this. Uh, Basically, you're spending your time driving and uh, you're on your way to a very important appointment tonight where you're going to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on the way, you can speak to our audience. And I think that is just a marvel of today's culture. There's so many great things that we have today, but there are also, and you speak a lot to this, Alex, there are also grave concerns going on in our culture. When you think about what young people are being assaulted with today, what comes to your mind is the number one thing those that are believers in Jesus can do and should be doing? Oh, well, first of all, Mike, thanks for having me on, and thank you for what you do. You are broadcasting truth, and you're a powerful witness for God and country, and I I really feel very privileged to be on with you, so thank you. Uh, But to your question about the most serious thing, uh, well, there there are two, and they do overlap, but they're cultural and spiritual. Um, I I think the most serious threat to our, our nation and our liberties is our abandonment of, of moral boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're in a moral crisis right now. We really are. And then on the spiritual side of things, it's just the, the, the default position is really secularism. And we can talk more about that. Uh, secularism could manifest itself as an outright denial of God, or it could simply be maybe uh, we allow that there is a God, but we, we will not let him interfere in our life in terms of uh, God has no place at the table of academics. God has no place at the table of government. God certainly has no place uh, meddling with what we do for entertainment or sexual boundaries. So the twofold threat to young people and, and really all people the cultural threat, which is our loss of any moral boundaries, and the spiritual threat, which is really the, the disavowal of God in all of the, the spheres of our life. Mm. You mentioned this thing with moral. You gave the example earlier of abortion is not so much a religious issue, but a moral issue. Uh, as you have been now a youth pastor for a number of years and then speaking to college campuses, doing all of the books that you've written with James Dobson and traveling with all of these kind of uh, circles that most of us are aware of. And we just go, wow, man, it's really cool to watch what, what God is using you and how he's using you. When you look and see what's happening to the young people in today's churches, what, what are your thoughts about that with all of the deconstruction that's going on? Well, you know, 
I, I hate to be like piling on. I know people are stressed and inflation is bad. And uh, I mean, the, the very same, you know, gallon of gas that not many months ago was close to $3 is now very close to $5. And so people have a struggle these days. I get that. But I want to tell you, the spiritual life of young people, Mike, is derivative of the spiritual life of the parents. Hmm. Case in point, I've, I've got my summer camp coming up uh, July 17 through 22nd. And it's called Unashamed Building Your Biblical Worldview. Well, we had we've had 30 cancellations. Now we'll have 150 students at our summer camp that we've done for years and years. And it's great. We have great speakers. Um, here we are, I don't know, five, six weeks away from our summer camp. And just in the last week, we we have had 30 cancellations. One hundred percent were about sports. Uh. Now, now, here's the thing, and moms and dads, you can send your complaints to alex at alexmcfarland.com. But I want to say this. Your teenager can go to heaven without soccer. Yep. They can't go to heaven without Jesus. Yep. And look, I have spoken or debated at 200 American universities. I know, believe me, I know the atheists that that are in classrooms, and that they are gleeful when young people turn from Christianity to secularism. They love it when kids come, and they, they talk about, very sarcastically, the myopic worldview open them up to broad diversity and inclusion and socialism and uh, gender inclusion and diversity. And I want to say this, Mike, um, young people need role models. They need truth. But part of the reason that we're a couple of generations into youth that don't walk with Jesus is because they were sired and raised by adults that don't walk with Jesus. Oh, that is mom and dad. Well said. It's not just about your child and your family. It's about the country. Because see, there's this law of logic called the law of composition. The parts make up the whole. And one by one by one, if we become secular individuals, you you do that long enough, and you become a secular nation. Mm -hmm. And that's about where we are. You know, it's it's really sad, isn't it, when you look at what's uh, the parents so often. This is the scenario that I saw uh, I as a pastor for 36 years. I saw the outcome of kids who were raised just like what you're saying with uh, team ball and sport travel ball and all of the volleyball uh, leagues that you can get your kids in. And I'm, I'm for sports. My son played uh, high school basketball. I love it. I get it. But what I don't get is is where that suddenly becomes the all in all, and they're doing that to the exclusion of really involvement in a local church at all. And I've seen those same people, the parents, bemoan the fact that once graduating from high school, and they're now their their kids are in college, and their kids let them know that they no longer believe in Jesus, and they act so yeah. surprised. 
But what you're saying exactly. is they really shouldn't be surprised. Well, I, you know, I was a youth pastor in the local church for 11 years, and then now for 25 have been, you know, traveling the country, stirring up trouble in the <laughs> Coliseum. But, you know, I remember um, early in my time as a youth pastor when I had um, a certain mom and dad that their their daughter had made all these commitments about mission trips and youth camp and serving on my youth council, my youth leadership council. And this one particular girl, whenever it would come time to follow through on a commitment, uh, the day before the mission trip, she dropped out to go to cheerleading camp. Mm -hmm. And the day before we would do a service project, she would always drop out for this or that reason. And the mom and dad said, well, you know, she's at that age where, you know, we have to give space to the extracurricular activities. So this, this girl goes to Appalachian State University, Boone, North Carolina, and first semester freshman gets pregnant wow. out of wedlock, of course. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the mom comes to me, the mom and the dad, how in the world did this happen? We don't understand it. We raised her with good values. And I said, well, no, you didn't. It was Jesus when there was nothing better to do. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, I'm sorry, and I hate to be piling on right now, because suddenly your first semester freshman daughter, you're going to be grandparents. But you didn't raise her with Christian values. You had her uh, involved in church when it was convenient, and there was nothing better on the, on the schedule. And... I'm just saying this, the devil wants us to believe that we have room enough for Jesus and the world. Christ and the world can comfortably coexist in our life. That's what Satan wants you to believe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I got to say, Charles Finney in the 19th century, he was a great revivalist. And somebody went to Charles Finney one time, this is around the time of the Civil War, and they were like, oh, the country's in dire straits. When will revival come? You know, why doesn't God show up and help us? When is there going to be a revival? And, and Charles Finney said, as soon as you want it. Mm -hmm. and, and the person was like, what, are you kidding? Of course we want it. We, we want a movement of God. Finney, Finney said, really? Badly enough to get up at 5 a.m. and pray? Badly enough to repent of sin and seek the face of God? Because if you want God in this country, he will show up. But uh, most people, Finney said, have just enough of God to keep them out of hell, but not so much that it interferes with their day-to-day -day life. And, and Mike, look, I love the Lord. I'm a happy camper. God is good, and life is good. But we are a country with a deep Christian residue. We really do. There are churches, and clearly, let, let me just say this. I'm going to prove that we were based on Christianity. See, I've had atheists at colleges. They'll say, well, you can't prove that the founders and the early Americans were Christian. I can tangibly prove it, at least mm -hmm. one line of evidence. Listen to this, folks. Uh, you go to 2,000 churches, you see a lot of things. I've been at so many churches east of the Mississippi, and I'll walk around the cemetery. Now, um, 
if you go, all right, the earliest town in America, the two oldest towns are St. Augustine and Manteo. Manteo was founded in 1587. The farther west you go, the younger the dates go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, 1787. Keep going west, get to the Mississippi, you're getting up into the 1800s. By the time you get to California, there are towns and settlements in California that were founded in the early 1900s. Now, here's my point. Listen very carefully. If you go in cemeteries, say pre-1950, look at the gravestone. 99% of all the tombstones pre-1950 will have some sort of Christian allusion yes. or Bible. Psalm 23. Now, yeah. once in a blue moon, and I, I've, I've walked literally hundreds of cemeteries throughout the Northeast, the South, the Midwest. All of the graveyards, like pre-1950, once in a blue moon, there'll be a Star of David, like a Jewish person. Mm -hmm. But 99% of the gravestones will have something Christian, praying hands or safe in the arms of Jesus, words like that. Mm -hmm. Psalm 23. All right. Um, If if we weren't raised as a gospel-centric culture, then, then why do all the tombstones, you never, never, never see on a tombstone, say, up until the mid-20th century, you would never see, like, uh, a Harley Davidson or Corvette logo. <laughs> see, tombstones from the 1990s to, like, now, there might be a Corvette logo on somebody's tombstone. Yes, in Charlotte, North Carolina, by hand to God, I can take you to a tombstone with a Corvette logo on it. Um Harley, or there'll be something like, you know, uh, uh, it, it's happy hour somewhere. I saw that epitaph. Isn't that I mean, something? in a brazenly secular cavalier epitaph. Hmm. But pre-mid-20th century, all the tombstones have something Christian. Why? Because they took their Christianity seriously. They lived by it. They died by it. And we just don't see that now, Mike. Right. It is not the level of hope that a lot of people have. They are not even aware of it so often. Alex McFarland, thank you for being on. We're out of time. I really enjoyed uh, getting to be on the other end of this line and while you're traveling. And uh, so grateful that you took the time while you're on the road to call in here to the shepherd. And please know we're praying for you. How can people get in touch with you? Well, thanks. Um, just my website, which is alexmcfarland.com. My email is super easy, alex at alexmcfarland.com. Please pray for our Viral Truth Campus Clubs, Viral Truth, and uh, any way we can serve, whether it's an event in your city or just uh, through our books and resources. If you Google my name on the online booksellers, you'll find me, Alex McFarland and alexmcfarland.com. Buddy, thanks for being with me today. I've so enjoyed our chat. I did. I did. Bless you, my friend. All right. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. 